All right. Um, welcome back. Yes, thanks for hosting me. Now. Um, okay, so today I want to do something um, a little bit different, maybe? I don't know, it's not so different. A little bit different. Because um, now starts four. See, most years, Truman, well, as many years, Truman, Tetzav, and Viachab, Makude end up doubled up. Mm-hmm. So you have like at least like two parshios and not three to talk about the Mishkan this year. They are separate. So you have a lot of time to talk about the Mishkan. So we're going to talk a little bit about the Mishkan today. Um, and then we're going to see as we move along. But I wanted to, I, I saw an idea in terms of understanding uh, really the goal of the Mishkan that I thought was a little bit unique and different. Um, and so I wanted to, to share that with you this morning. Before we do that, let's talk about maybe the, the, the larger, uh, I don't know, maybe more classic machlokas uh, that goes on about how to understand the Mishkan. Okay, so take a look at source number one. You find right here in uh, the beginning of the parashas, the mitzvah to give money to the, to, to collect funds. So that what? You should make for me a sanctuary and I will dwell amongst them. Right? But you know that one. You heard about it once. Intimately You heard about it once. You heard about it once, right? Exactly. So uh, building a mishkan is something we're familiar with a little bit. So, fine. But the big dispute that goes on between Rashi and the Ramban is about when was this, right? When was this uh, mitzvah given? So according to Rashi, and this is a Rashi in Parashat Kitisa, um, because cause we have Truma Tetzave, where we're told that Moshe has given all the commandments how to build the Mishkan. In Kitisa, B'nai Yisrael mess up with the golden calf. And in Vayakal Pekudai, Moshe B'nai comes down at Vayakal after three times of being on the mountain and getting tshuva for the people. He finally comes down on the 10th day of, right, the 17th day of, of Tammuz is the day when they commit the Azav. Moshe then goes up two times to do tshuva on Har Sinai again after he'd already been up one time for 40 days and 40 nights and ends up coming down the last time on the 10th day of Tishrei at which point he um, right that's that's the 10th day of Tishrei becomes Yom Kippur because it's the day when Hashem finally forgave us takes us fully back and then Moshe comes down and he commands the people to build a Mishkan and the question that comes up is what was the original plan? Right, was God originally planning on giving them the Mishkan? Or is the Mishkan a response to the mistake of Chayit Egel? So if you look at Rashi, uh, Rashi and the Ramban have a dispute about how this works exactly. Um, I don't want to spend a lot of time inside this Rashi and Ramban, but I just wanted to show it to you. Um, that basically Rashi says, Vishav basically Moshe goes back to the people. He would learn everything and then he'd go back to the Zakanim and teach them what he had learned. Right? And he does this from the day of Yom Kippur until the day the Mishkan is built. Because on the 17th of Tammuz, the Luchos have been destroyed. And on the 18th day, he destroyed the Egel. And he punished everybody. On the 19th day, he went up on the mountain. And he's there 40 days and 40 nights. And then he goes back up again on Rosh Chodesh Elul for again 40 days and 40 nights. And finally, he comes down. All the way through the lines in the bottom. It says, At that point, Hashem was, has taken us back. 
gave him the new luchos. After this whole, you know, experience from the Shiva, the seventh day of time was all the way until the tenth day of Tishrei. And they work on it now up until the first day of Nisan, which takes a lot, many, many months until they finally put it together. Fine. So according to Rashi, when does the commandment to build a Mishkan take place? After, right? After the people had sinned at the Chayta Egel. However, the Ramban says that's not true. Right? He says, if you just look three lines down in the Ramban, he says, at the very last word, so The Ramban says, when Moshe comes down in Parshat Vayakal in 10th day of Tishrei and teaches the people about the Mishkan, that's not the first time he learned about it. He learned about it way before, well before the, he learned about it on Har Sinai, before they, before they had sent the Chayta Egel. Fine. So the, and the bottom line being that, according to Ramban, this was always the plan. There was always going to be a Mishkan. Fine. But the question becomes, at least according to, to, according to the Ramban, sorry, according to, to Rashi, that it's response, right? It's response to the mistake that people made. If that was true, then what's the purpose of the Mishkan? What would you say? If it's a response to the mistake, the people, what was the mistake of Chayda Ego? Why did that they happen? They didn't see God and couldn't feel God, so they created something so they would feel a presence of God. Right. So the Mishkan would be a permanent structure where you could feel the presence of God. Bingo. Exactly. It would seem to be, right? And, and keep in mind, Rashi doesn't really say that. We sort of like put that into Rashi's mouth a little bit. Rashi says it, was only, it only happens after, meaning it was a response to what, what had happened. And that's a big Chiddush because Truma Tetzavah come before Parshat Kitiza. Right? In the order of the Torah, mm-hmm. we have Truma Tetzavah first, then Kitiza, and after that. So according to Rashi, Truma Tetzavah are really out of order. Right? They're not really, they shouldn't really be there. They really happened afterwards. Um, and by the way, after the... order anyway, so it doesn't... So, so, so we say, right. but Torah, you're right, the Torah can be out of order. But the truth is that Ramban says it's not true. Yeah. Ramban right. doesn't buy that. As Ramban doesn't believe in Muqtam Torah. He says, no, the Torah is in, in order because that's how it happened for the most part. Does it um, matter? I'm not trying to, but does it matter whether or not it's in the response to something? I mean, there's so many times where God does something for or to us because of a mistake. Like, we got a, a king, right? There was never supposed to be king. Right. But because of the us, conversation about said, king, yes, right. we will give you a king. If you decide you want a king, this is how it's going to go. Right, right, right. And like with the man, right? There was no plan, I guess, to give it. We complained and then God gave us. Or maybe there was, maybe there wasn't, but we have to complain first right. and, then and then he brings he said, it. Right. So, I, I mean, does it. Does the it big machlok between Ramba, Rambam and Ramban about korbanos. Where korbanos originally something Hashem, animal sacrifice, doesn't that God wanted? Or that God said, look, they're growing up, they've all lived their whole lives seeing animal sacrifice. Let's, make it, let's do it in a way that'll be for me. Right? So, so, so uh, I think the Rambam is the one who says that it was a response that was the way people did things. Rambam said, are you crazy? Half the Torah is korbanos. The whole thing was just <laughs> the Torah is all of Sefer Yikra, a good twenty percent at least, right? Is Korbanos? Well, all that was just giving to the heathen needs of the people. We have it other places also. Asia's Sefer Torah, right? The story of what do you do? Like capture captures a woman, and Hashem says, "Okay, I really don't want this, but people, man, people have Yitzhar, so what am I going to do?" Like you have a lot of mitzvahs like that. Right. Hashem understands the human need of people. So you're right. That may not be a bad thing. It's uh, but it, but so I'll tell you why it matters. I mean, it doesn't. It matters. We're talking more. Like no, no, no. Yeah. Right. So let's talk about why it matters more in the realm of 
theology, I guess, and how we look at things, then it does really, right, practically it doesn't necessarily matter. But it matters in terms of how we view things. But according to Rashi, at least, I get it. I get the need for a Mishkan. Human beings need, and by the way, didn't God know God had, doesn't have time? God's only. Okay, so like, I tried to explain to one of my kids, did I say this? I tried to explain to one of my kids the other day, like, what does it mean that God doesn't have time? That's like impossible for a child to understand. Like, what does that mean? Right? So, like, that God's like standing above and like there's like this whole thing, everything happened already, and He just like, right? There's no before and after or current. But so, so God knew that also, right? God knew that He was going to need to respond, according to Rashi. Um, is the Beit Hamikdash on the same thing as the Mishkan? Like, was the Beit Hamikdash built because of the need? Because of the, the same need. Okay, so maybe every other kingdom had castles and. Well, so if the if the if the Mishkan is just a temporary version of what's going to be eventually the Beit Hamikdash, right? Correct. Right. So the, so again, there might be a value in terms of a lesson for that God understands human nature. I've had conversation. I had a conversation with this student this morning about like if God wants a certain thing from us. But knows it's so hard for us creates so many myths that no one can do everything. Why would he create a system that we can't perfect? We can't do it just right. Harnessing your Yetzirah in a positive way. That's what every myth is. How do you take your basic instinct and make it holier? Holier, right? Right. So it's the same. That's exactly. Exactly. No meaning, but but to see that the Torah itself is a response at times to what we need. I think is actually a could provide us a, a blueprint for a healthy approach to Avodah Hashem in general, right? God doesn't expect machines. We're not machines, we're not robots. If we were robots, there'd be no purpose, right? So he knows that we make mistakes. He knows that we can't handle certain things. He knows we need balance. We need to be healthy. We need, right? All that type of stuff is, it's, a, it's, a, it's actually a very helpful tool for someone who's trying to grow. Not to grow too fast, not to grow too slow, but how to, how to, how to pick up when we mess up. That's basically what the Torah is all about, right? And so if you, if you recognize that the Mishkan is a response to the nature of, of Am Yisrael forever, so there's something very valuable there in terms of understanding how we um, ourselves approach our own misgivings and mistakes and struggles in our Vodos Hashem and in our relationships and all kinds of things. But then you could say if Hashem can anticipate our, our needs, then if he would just would have had a Mishkan to begin with, then we could have avoided the Egel Azov. But maybe but... he didn't want us to avoid the Egel Azov. Mm-hmm. Oh, fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, meaning, because maybe there's something to be learned from the experience of Egel Azov. Right? He lets us mess up. He allows it to happen. He doesn't, he's not the parent who hovers and grabs the kid before they fall and skin their knee. He's the parent who lets us skin our knee and then says, here... Here's a band aid. Here's a band aid. Right. And next time, watch where you're going. Right? Learn the lesson, the painful lesson sometimes of mistake, so that you can pick yourself up, because that's what he wants us to learn how to do. Right? But, but that, that's all good, and that's a beautiful message according to Rashi. Right? According to the Ramban, like you just said, Jenny, according to the Ramban, well, then what's the point of the Mishkan? I, I didn't, uh, we didn't, it's not because we messed up, it was going to be there whether we messed up or not. Right? The fact that we still build it, okay, is reflective that Hashem has taken us back. But that was the plan all along, right? That was the plan all along to build a Mishkan. So the question becomes, according to the approach that says, Mishkan was always going to be there, at least from the beginning of Am Yisrael, let's say. That was always the plan. So if that's true, what's the value or what's the, you know, what, what's the message maybe? If the value is there, it's intrinsic value. But what's the message of Mishkan? Okay. What would you say before I think? It's not a response to messing up. 
If it's not a response, it's not a response to messing up. Well, I mean, do you have to say that it's really a different reason? You could also say that from the outset, Hashem understood our nature. Okay. And realized that okay. it would be helpful for us to have a physical space in which to connect with. Okay. That's one thing. But the, the other thing. I mean, if we didn't, even if we didn't mess up, there's still a value in having a physical space where Hashem is. Right. Or he knew we, that's better for us. Didn't, wasn't expecting right. a massive blowout like right after Har Sinai. Right. But thought over time it would be useful to have a physical location. Okay. But another thing is that the the kahal idea, like instead of just having people worshiping by themselves whenever, this was a way. Again, we're nation building in this time frame. This is a way to have people coming together. Right. At set times Unity. and yeah, and then creating. So right, and the the idea of that. When there's a Mishkan in the desert, and then eventually there's a base of Midyar, so Bamos are forbidden, right? There's, mm-hmm. no, right? there's no personal altars. There are for a little while, once they, when they first come in, before they build a base of Midyar, different times, it's okay, not okay. And it's very hard for people to let go of that. Mm-hmm. Bamos becomes, you know, every time there's a good king, but not a great king, he was very good. Rakhabamos, Tanakh will say, Rakhabamos low star, but he couldn't get rid of the Bamos. Oh, it's like, what the, who cares about the Bamos? So. We can give a different commentary of today's bummos, but yeah. you know, so the block minute. Um, but uh, I didn't say that. Um, but uh, yeah. The other thing I feel like it's it's important for people to realize their needs on their own versus being told what you need. What do you mean? Like you need a mishkan so you could come and you could die and you uh-huh. like as opposed to people going, oh, you know what? It would be really great like if we had the you know like realizing amongst themselves because then it, they take ownership of it and it's meaningful. Mm-hmm. Like if you give your kids everything, going back to that analogy, if you give them like everything they ever want or anticipate every single need, they're not learning. So it's just a part of them realizing their strengths and weaknesses or yearnings or wants mm-hmm. and identifying themselves as people growing as a person and knowing what you want. Same thing with like Adam and Chava and like making it, you know, help me for Adam. Like whatever throughout the whole Torah, like everyone had to really discover what they, what they, needed. they needed. Right. And look, yeah. and look, and I think the fact is that either way they have to build it, themselves, right? That that's also a big part of it, right? As we know right now, when you build something yourself together as a group, right. so that creates a buy-in in a way that you've never had before. If you show up to something that exists already, it's a very different feeling than something you invest in and you give of you give yeah. you give to, right? It's a little bit of a different experience. At the end, it's good, I promise. Um, but but right, it's like a very it's a it's a very important. Right. <laughs> it's a very important. Um, this, yeah, exactly. So this is it's, it, it creates something different. But I want to show you something. Now that you said Adam and Chava, okay, I want to I want to take you somewhere. This is not Rabbi Foreman, but it should be Rabbi Foreman. It's Rabbi but Amnon Bazak from Yeshiva Haratzion has an approach to the goal of the goal of Mishkan. Okay, forget as a fix of. But as a different for a different for a different reason, okay? So take a look at source number four. I'm taking you now to the second and third parak in Sefer Bereshis, okay? Where where the Torah says as follows: Hashem planted this garden in a place called Eden. By the way, it's a really interesting question: if Eden. We think of Aden. Someone says Aden. What do you what do you say to yourself? Gan Eden. No. Is that the same place? What does it say in the Torah? Oh. This is a totally side point. 
Gan bit Aden. There's a garden in Aden. Aden is maybe a larger place that has a Gan inside of it. We're learning now about Aden maybe being a, a larger place and there's a Gan inside Aden, whatever. But it's just, it, when you read carefully, right, we always just like have our... We don't know where Aden is though. No, but what we think we do, but we don't really, right? But, 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 um... I'm saying we like we we are like six year old goggles sometimes when we read the story rather than using our adult goggles right so just or glasses or whatever you like. Um, he places man who he created in that place. So he takes him and places him in in that place. Why? He places him there to work in it and to guard it. Right, that's what he's told to do. Good. So notice that. Keep keep those words in mind. La Abdul Shamra. Okay, next. Source number five. After they make the mistake, they eat from the eight sadas. And what happens? Their eyes are opened up. They realize that they're that they're not wearing clothing. So they make some type of belts for themselves, some type of clothing. They noticed the sound of Hashem walking in the garden. And they get nervous and they and they and they and they uh, they hide from Hashem, okay? And Hashem says, "Where are you?" etc. And he says, oh, "We're nervous, so we so we hid." So how has Hashem noticed? Hashem is noticed as someone who is mishalech bagan. He's walking in the gun, okay? Next one later on in the same parak. What happens at the way end after he punishes them? What does Hashem do for them? The people who, the only ones you created in the world, who you spoke to face to face, gave them one job in the world, is what does Hashem, and they make a mistake, what does Hashem do at the end? He makes them clothing. Does the machasad. Right? What does he create for them? Kotnos or. He makes them clothing. Right? Some type of, uh, a katonet is a, you know, a, a, coat, a coat of some sort. Okay? These are some of the things that we find that Hashem does, or that is the way this story is described, the description of how Adam lived in Gan Eden and what happened when he messed up in Gan Eden. His job is to serve it, to, to work there and to guard it. He's there. Hashem is present there as Misalech Bagan. He's walking around in there. And, and, when he, and before he leaves, Hashem gives them Kotnos Or. Okay, these three things happen in Gan Eden. When Adam is kicked out, what was the goal of Adam living in Gan Eden? What would you say the, the goal was? Well, according to the Pasuk, or... Sure. I mean, the Pasuk was to guard it and work mm-hmm. the land. And guard it, work the land, and, and take care of the one mitzvah Hashem asked him to do, which is don't eat from that, from that tree. How present is God in that, in that Gan? Like very present, very present mm-hmm. right? Very, very present. God is extraordinarily present. You feel God, you hear God walking in the Gan and talking to you, right? God is extraordinarily present in Gan Eden. How did they come at that sin though? With God walking okay, next right. to them, okay? Next year, stay for braces, precious braces. Sorry, backwards. Yeah, it's extraordinarily difficult to understand why it happened, but fine. In fact, according to the measures, it happened one hour after they were created. They were created, they're placed in the Gan, and the next hour they sent. Immediately. Tomorrow makes you feel better. They messed up that fast. Right? It makes us feel like a little bit. I'm not kidding. I'm not totally kidding. Right? That's part of me, part of us I learning the story. The first human beings messed it up right away. Yeah? So, like, wasn't there punishment that they had to work the land and toil and all yes. that? So if they're working 
from the beginning. Um, right, so what kind of work? So, presu- <laughs> so what Adam is told is that when he works the land, it's going to come out with thorns and thistles, and it's going to be very, very, it's going to be very hard work. It could be that at the time, then in Ganei, then it would be easy. It would be, you know, they have to do a little gardening, a little rake and a hoe, you know, and a piece of fertile ground. But in real life now, it's going to be much, much more difficult to make it work. Fine. Good. Adam is kicked out. Where's God now in Adam's life? Does Adam speak to God anymore at this point? Is God mishalich in any area where Adam is anymore? No. no, he talks to Kayin, right? He talks to Kayin and he talks to Kayin a little bit. But, but he's not really a part of Adam's life anymore. Adam's life is now without God. And we have no more conversations between Adam and God. Uh, Adam and, uh, and God. No one really talks to God at all until Noah comes, right? Quickly. But God is not present in that world. That world has become a world of chaos where no one listens to God. No one does what God wants. Even when they're threatened with flood, they don't care. Even after the flood comes, they build a, they build a, a tower to attack God. These are not people who feel the presence of Hashem in their lives in any so way. missing from that point on through Noah? Is Noah the first person? Noah's the first one afterwards to speak, speak to, to God. God. Yeah, Noah is a tzaddik, right? So Noah right. is the first tzaddik after that. Ten generations till Noah. So from Adam till then, there was no communication. Cain has a little communication with God, but then that's it. When he's punished right. for killing Havel. Right. But that's it. And otherwise, no one talks to God until Noah. And then after Noah, no one talks to God until Avraham. But it could say it wasn't beneficial for God to hide himself so much because it went into, the world went into chaos. Right. The world destroys itself almost, right? Until we find Avraham. Right? Avraham. Good. And, and what happens now with Avraham? Avraham's a person who makes his purpose in life to do what? people. Yeah, meaning to bring God back into the conversation. Right? His job is bring, create a world now where people talk about God. Right? That's what the Eishel is, is that people come to his uh, Chabad house and they get something to eat and something to drink and a place to sleep. And then he says, well, once you're here already, why don't you don't thank me, thank God, who made all right, he's trying to create a place where God's presence is felt. Okay? I thought it would be one person all those generations. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> it's hard, and it's, not, and it's not convenient. Right. It's not convenient. It's a lot easier to live without God. Life without God is much easier. Right? It's an easier life. It's not better, right? But it's much easier. Right? It's, a, it's an easier life. It's a, that's why they always say, Penner has said this many times, that the when you have a conversation with someone about atheism or not atheism, there's always an automatic bias against belief in God. Why? You can't prove he exists. Well, well, you can't prove either one, to be honest. You can't prove he doesn't exist. You can't prove that he does exist. But that should be 50-50. So why is there a bias in in favor of lack of belief in God? Because if you believe, you have to do anything. Right, because if you believe, there's all these ramifications, (laughs) which are much more difficult, right? So it's it's a much... doesn't mean that you have to be honest. If you're really honest, it's hard to be that honest. Right? So that's very difficult. Fine. But the bottom line is, 26 generations go by, right, looking for, for again, an opportunity for God to find himself a place to be in the world. And what generation is that? The generation of the Yotzei Mitzrayim, people of Egypt. 26, just by the way, this is a nice, cute aside. 26 is Gematria of? Yod and Hey and Vav and Hey. Shem Hashem is 26. But, but anyways, that's Hashem's name, right? But anyways, the bottom line is, God then tells the Jewish people as they leave Mitzrayim to build a Mishkan. And how is the Mishkan described? Okay? By the Torah itself. 
This is like the only time I have only Sukkim from the Torah on the Shorashim, right? Source um, number seven in Parshas by Midbar. Vishamru, what, who, what are the, what's the Kohanim's job? Vishamru as Kalei Ohamoed, their job is to be Shomer, to guard the Mishkan. Mishkan, and to do the service there. La'avdala Shamra. Okay, gotta do both. Vishamru and La'avod. What did God make for Adab and Chava? Kutanot. What do Aaron and his children wear? Vilivne Aaron Tase. Kutanot. Same thing. They're gonna wear the same clothing. Okay? Just by the way, the Medrash adds, what, was the, what were the Kutanot made of that Avdal and Chava wore? The Medrash says they were made out of the Or Tachash. The ore of, of an animal called a tachash, which had some type of like rainbow-colored skin. What's the type, and this part's in the Torah, how, what, what, uh, what type of skin is supposed to put on top of the Mishkan? Or tachash. Same one. Okay? And how is Hashem described in the Mishkan? Source number nine. Right? I will walk amongst you. He doesn't mean in Eretz Israel, and he doesn't mean... In the Midbar, he means in the Mishkan. Okay? Um, that Hashem is once again... Oh, and what's the best one? Sorry. Oh, did I not put it here? Thanks. Sorry. The best one. Not the best one, but one, one of my reformer points out all the time. When they, oh, no, I do have it here. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Go back to source number six. Go back to source number six. Okay? At the end. Uh... What does God say? Pasuk Chav Beis. Vayomer Hashem Elokim Hein HaAdam Hayake Achan Imenu Ladas Tovrak. He even though he's a Das Tovrak, he's like us now. He knows the difference. Vatab Peni Shlach Chedov Lakach Gam Meitzachayim Vachav Vachayla. Maybe he's even Eitzachayim, the tree of life, and he's going to live forever. So what does he have to do? Vayishlachayu Hashem Elokim Migan Eden. He sends them out. Lavodus Adama Ashulukach. Misham now he's going to have to work the land. Vayigarish Es HaAdam. He kicks them out. As in live in the eastern part of, uh, from, you know, in the east direction away from Gan Eden. And where does he put them? Sorry. What does God put in the eastern part of Gan Eden? Two Kruvim, or Kruvims, cherubs. What's their job? And a fiery sword. To guard the entrance towards the Eitzachayim. When you go into the Mishkan, which has to be guarded and worked, and which Hashem is mitalech, if you get all the way in, right, what's the one place you're not supposed to go? Kodesh Kodeshim, which has in it the Aron Kodesh. What's inside the Aron Kodesh? The Torah, the Luchos, which is called what? Eitz Chaim Hilamach Hazikim Okay? And what's guarding it on top? Shnei Kruvin. Pretty amazing, right? It's pretty amazing. So, the, the, according to Rav Bazak, and he argues that he didn't make this up, it's like Chazal puts together many places this idea, that the Mishkan is the recreation of Gan Eden. Of Gan Eden itself. It's like a portable Gan Eden. It's like a portable Gan Eden. Because what was, the, cause what was the job? Because <laughs> what, what did God want originally? Originally was, I want to live in a space. But he wanted to, be, to live in a place with Amisha. But we don't need, right? God doesn't need to live in 
the world. Right? But he knows that living in Gan Eden with HaKadosh Baruch Hu walking with us, what does it provide for us? A totally different perspective on life. Right? If I have that, then my life is different. I, I have a different focus. I can do the things that I know are right. I, I have just a different way of living my life because I have that Hashem near me, around me. Right? Not staring at me in the face, not holding a you know, proverbial gun to my head all the time, but having his presence felt if I'm interested in finding it. Right? And after the Adam Chava sin, that's it. He's not inter- he can't, they can't have that. But he spends the next, all that time, trying to get back to there. Fine. In which case, the Mishkan is the new example of that. He needed Avram Avinu, his children, to have that experience, to become his nation, the nation of the people who could experience God in this world and bring it to other people. And then he gives them, when they're ready, this place where God Aden will be recreated. Okay? It happens to be, it also works very nicely, with the language of what the Sefer Shmos is called. Every Sefer has its own nickname that Chazal gave them. So for example, um, uh, Bereshis is called Sefer Hayashar, because you learn all about the Avos and the Imahos and the types of people they were. That's called Sefer Hayashar. Uh, Fayikra is called Taras Kohanim. That's all about the Kohanim, right? Different, different you know, Devarim is called Mishnah Torah. It's a repeat of many, many myths that need to be taught again before the Gantaritz is shown. What is, what is uh, Shmos called? So it's called two things. Some call it Sefer HaGolos V'Hagula. Okay? And some call it Sefer Hashemi. Okay? But it's very weird because no other book is called, you know, Vikra is not called Sefer HaShlishi, but it's not called Sefer HaRivi. So the question is, why is it called Sefer HaShemi? And Siv says, because that Shmos is just the continuation of what was trying to get done in Sefer Bereshit. Sefer Bereshit was creating this group of people, Adam, who then messes up, and then Avram starts, and, and, but Avram to Moshe is not two different stories. Right? It's a continuation of that process, getting us back to this place. But, the, but the Ramban, I believe it's the Ramban who asked the question, he says, if it's called Sefer Agolos Vagula, so it's, it's just Geula, so Geula ends when? When did the book end? When they enter Eretz Yisrael. Okay. Or? Galus was what? Galus was what? Sefer Galus Vagula. If you're saying that oh. Shemot is Galus Vagula, what's the Galus? That's right. That's right. So when the Geula happen? Just Yitzhak Mitzrayim. Yitzhak Mitzrayim. They cross the Yamsuf. Book should end next Sefer. Right? What? So, so the, even the Nitziv says, you can't have the Torah. Matan Torah you have to have because Matan Torah is already, you know, we, we, you don't have an Amish show without the Torah. Fine. So then and then, why do you continue Truma Tetzav of Bayaka So I believe it's Ramban who says, because the whole thing wasn't done until they got the Mishkan. It wasn't until HaKadosh comes back and lives the Salachti B'Sochachem as I was at the way beginning of the Sefer HaRishon, right, of Sefer Bereshis, that the entire cycle has now come full circle. And now HaKadosh is back with us the way he wanted to be with us in the first place. And that's the goal then of the Mishkan. What's interesting, by the way, is what isn't included in Hagu'ula. It's not even included in the five books of Moses. Eretz Yisrael. That's not included. Don't worry, I'm not trying to minimize like the Mizrahi people would go crazy on me. Right? But like, I'm not trying to, I'm trying, trying to minimize. Obviously, the whole goal is to get to Eretz Yisrael. Don't get me wrong. But it is interesting right, that, that, that that whole process comes to a conclusion in terms of the Torah itself before they get to Eretz Yisrael. 
fine. But either way, certainly now we get there. So what, what we need to do eventually is build a base on Mikdash, which is that permanent place where you have the exact same thing taking place, right? And if that's true, you also have a greater, even, those, even though we can't fully appreciate it, the tragedy of a Chorban Abayas. Because the tragedy of a Chorban Abayas is basically what? Destruction of this whole Gan Eden that you were trying to recreate. Mm-hmm. Right. You now have everything that we were trying to do from the, the days of creation, right? Which then gets, just, we got back with the Mishkan, and then is even recreated in a grander way in the Beis Hamidosh, and then is destroyed, and we can't have anymore. That's much more tragic than like a building that was inspirational being destroyed. Right? It's, a, it's a building that represented that recreation of Gan Eden that is then now stripped away, and that explains why it's such a such a tragedy for us, and why it's so we so desperately want it back um, because it's not just the it's really cool and amazing, but it's that it has this transformative way of changing the entire world because it has that, that place. And by the way, it's not just a place for Jews. It's a place for everybody. Right? It's a place for everybody to come. that Everyone can come there and have that experience. So the, I like this anyway, which I just think it's very, very cool. But it also, I think, explains, according to the Ramban, that this was always the plan, at least always the plan that you can I was say. say it has to be, right? Because if you use that as the explanation, I was going to say, then there's no way that that isn't a response to a sin because that would be anti Right. What's the word? Theoretical? Theoretical? It wouldn't make, it, yeah, it wouldn't make sense. It wouldn't make sense. So it has to be that that was always the plan. That's why after I saw this shot, I said we have to talk about the Ram, Rashi and the Ramban. Because according to this explanation, Rashi doesn't work. I mean, it's much harder to explain. If it was never supposed to be, right? You're never supposed to... What do you mean? This is the whole point. Right? It's the goal of the whole thing. So I don't know how Rashi, how those who explain Rashi at least that way, you know, explain it. How, do you, how would you understand what was supposed to happen otherwise? You know, I'm not sure, but, um, but, but certainly according to the Ramban, that this was the plan the whole time, it really uh, emphasizes why it was so central and why the Sefer doesn't end until we build it and why maybe also why we spend so much time focusing on how it's built. The Midrash actually spends, there's a lot of comparisons between the creation story and the creation of the Mishkan. Uh, a lot of the things that Hashem says is Tov Ma'od Moshe says that the Mishkan is Tov there's a lot of, a lot of comparisons between the Midrash picks that up even comparison to the creation of the Mishkan and the, and the, and the, and the creation story for, again for the same reasons here so it, it parallels itself very nicely but I, but I think also either way it's, a, it's also a, a lesson a lesson even when we don't have a Beis Hamidash right? we don't have a Mishkan it's a lesson for what we're trying to create right? if we can't do it with the building so then we need to do it ourselves Right, is that 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 uh, you know through mitzvot, through involving ourselves in the right things, to bringing the rebbeinu shalom into the world, which is such a hard thing, but that's what we that's what our goal is always. It's very very hard, it's very difficult, but that becomes I mean, the remains the goal. There are so many good Jews in the world who are really working hard and trying to, you know, keep the mitzvot and you know be good people and be you know a legend to the nations and everything. But then, you know, it's not, like, there's so many Jews now that were then, like, we right. can't all be on the same page, so, you know, shouldn't it be, like, the strongest link gets us there versus the weakest link what do you mean? gets away? Oh, yeah. So then how are we supposed to bring about... Getting back? Again? Yeah. yeah. Like, how are we supposed to bring out the Beit HaMikdash and, you know, we can just build it, but that's not going to bring Hashem back. Right. So, you know, it, it leaves us at a loss, like, what are we supposed to do? Like we're trying, right? 
Yeah. No, but it means it's up to it's up to those who are aware to do what we can. You're right. You know, at a certain point, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not God's cheshbonist. I can't. I can't say right. But I would imagine that those who don't know, and those who are never taught, and those who don't have back, have a background to know. Then, if they individually are not held accountable, you know, uh, are we held accountable? Again, we're held accountable because we're supposed to reach out, etc. But at a certain point, you know, I think we gotta just each individual taking care of their own family and figuring out how to make this work in your own family is hard enough. And your own individual life in your own family is a hard enough task. It is. It's a hard enough task. Um, but it's not an impossible one. It's not an impossible one, but it's a hard one. It does seem unfair but, that they merited having the Mishkan and the Beis Hamikdash twice. Right. right. They're, they're in such a better level than we are now that they merited it. They messed up a lot, though. I'm saying if you call this a miniature Gan Eden, it seems right. like they merited having this rebuilt two times. Right. And they were awful with the king. They made right? a lot of mistakes. I mean, it was terrible. Made a lot of mistakes. Which is why the the explanation that it's a it's a response to the eagle is a little hard. It's almost like a reward. You know. Right. Like, well, again, if know. if Rona was here, she would remind us that it's like so unfair for them coming out, of, place, coming out of Mitzrayim, <laughs> right? That they that they like what do you want from them? They had they were slaves, etc. So there's what to say for that also, yeah. right? That they that that group did have a kind of all, meaning they did have it all handed to them. That group who left Mitzrayim the first time, they they did not get it for their own sechus because they didn't have they didn't have the capability. They had something. They called out. They davened. Right, they, they they did something, and, and that, by the way, that just shows you the Kadosh Baruch responds to every, every every generation in their place, right? So we're in a uniquely challenged place, also, right? In the, the the environment in which we live, the generation that we find ourselves in is incredibly interested in spirituality, but incredibly distracted by all of the nonsense in the world, and it's a, we have a more distracted generation probably than ever before. I was another generation, but I assume so. And and but there's a yearning in our generation that maybe wasn't always in every generation. Also, so we have like kind of like both. Cook talks about that, the passion, the fire that exists in that generation. That's why it's leading to so much chaos, probably. And I but, just had an epiphany because there's always been you know throughout the Torah one strong leader, like one person that we're all right. like looking to that would help for us. guidance. You know, we don't have that. Like, yeah, that would help us. Everyone follows a different rabbi. Like, yeah. There isn't any unification. Right, that's what that's what Mashiach is supposed to be, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. That's what Mashiach is. He's the, he's the, the unifier. Uh, that's exactly what it is. So, just gonna hope it shows up already. But uh, okay, awesome.